This is Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Join me, my husband Mark of Real Clear Investigations, Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, and others for the 2023 Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in Chicago. Issuesetc.org. How did it happen that a movement, the civil rights movement, that with its moral compass firmly set at its beginning, how did it happen that compass got so off that nowadays there are many progressive civil rights organizations that are actually in favor of abortion on demand? You would think that with their moral roots, that would not be possible, but somehow it has been. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about progressive civil rights and abortion, Delano Squires. He's a research fellow for the DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family at the Heritage Foundation. He holds a Master's of Public Policy degree from George Washington University, and he's author of a recent column for Newsweek titled, Civil Rights Leaders Care More About Planned Parenthood Than Black Families. Delano, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. Why have many civil rights organizations become supporters of abortion? I think a big part of it is that these organizations see, quote-unquote, abortion rights as a civil right. They do not feel, I think, any sort of moral issue. They see abortion, even if they don't see it as a moral good, they see it as something that should be allowed because they believe that prohibiting abortion infringes on the rights of women. And as I said, they see this as sort of the next iteration since 1972, well, 1973, excuse me, when Roe was decided, as one of the iterations of the civil rights movement. So I'm not particularly surprised. What surprised me in doing research for my column is just how forceful they are about it and how much they concentrate on it and the fact that they speak much more about Planned Parenthood and supporting the abortion industry than they do the family. When Barack Obama was running for president, he often spoke openly about marriage, family, fatherhood. How did progressive blacks react back then, and why? Oh, they hated it. They hated it when he did it on the campaign trail in 07. Some people may remember the, the famous or infamous Jesse Jackson sort of response when he had a hot mic and he said he wanted to do damage to, to the president's reproductive capabilities. I'll put it that way. And then after Barack Obama became president, there was one time when, I think it was 2013, where he went back to Chicago to give a speech. A young lady named Hydea Pendleton, who performed in his second inauguration, was killed in a drive-by shooting in Chicago. So he went back to his hometown, well, his adopted hometown, gave a speech and talked about the importance of marriage, family, and fatherhood as it related to preventing some of these incidents from happening. His most vigorous critics of that type of speech were always on the left. So I think some black leaders saw it as him talking down to the community, but I think that the ultimate effect of it is that it had a chilling, sort of a chilling effect on the Democratic Party because he is the last national Democrat that I can think of who 
frequently included those themes in his speeches about uplift, particularly within the black community. While we're on that subject, track Obama's progressive evolution for us. Well, on this subject, again, I think you, you saw when he ran for president in 07, he talked about the importance of families. Now, he, he's always been, at the very least, pro-choice. I mean, he's a Democrat, so he might have been in the safe, legal, and rare camp, but he, he was all, he's always been supportive of abortion. But there was some sense of balance there. So again, 07, as candidate, once he got into office, you know, he, he had, you know, My Brother's Keeper, that initiative he started to, to focus on the needs of, of young men, particularly young black and Hispanic men. Again, he was sprinkled into speeches at HBCUs, and I mentioned the speech in 2013. But since he's been out of office, I, I don't tend to hear him speak about it as much. Maybe he does, and I'm just not aware. But I think basically all national Democrats, he's gotten a lot more forceful in terms of his pro-abortion advocacy, and certainly since Roe was overturned last summer. So you can sort of see him track with the rest of the party as opposed to him continuing to be a leader in this particular area and trying to pull some Democrats over to his side. What do you hear and how do you react when abortion advocates claim that black women will be victimized by limits on abortion? What I hear are people who lack a functioning moral compass, and that that may sound harsh, but these are people who will regularly talk about rape and incest exceptions and and talk about women who've conceived via rape or incest almost like a throwaway line. And even though those incidences basically constitute less than 2% of all abortions. So for whatever reason, they think that, that, again, 98 plus percent of abortions that take place, they seem to think that the black women who constitute about 40% of those nationally, about 40% of all abortions, are better off not having children that may grow up in poverty. So to the modern Democrat, it is better to be killed in the womb if you're a black child than to grow up to, to be raised by a poor, single black mother. I find that deeply, deeply concerning. The fact that there are some number of black preachers, very prominent, I'd say Raphael Warnock, who is both a senator and who pastors the church that Dr. King pastored, is most prominent among them. I find the current Democratic position to be very troubling morally, and it makes me wonder whether they think depopulation is the new civil rights issue of of the day. How did many poverty-concerned groups react to the overturning of Roe v. Wade? I know, obviously, you know, a lot of these civil rights organizations tend, tend to say they focus or care about poverty. I would characterize their reaction as a lament, and that's to put it lightly. Uh, if, if you saw some of the reactions, uh, let's say for the people who were at the Supreme Court when the decision was handed down, they reacted to the prospect of more children being born the way most people react when they hear of the loss of life. It was a a deep sadness. There was weeping. There was wailing. There was gnashing of teeth. And and I think what you see from some of the civil rights organizations that I I mentioned is that they had similar type of concern. Again, you you talked about them characterizing black women as being victims, quote-unquote, of the limits to abortion. And, And I know 
even someone like uh, Michelle Obama, who in her statement after Dobbs, the Dobbs decision, she talked about how this decision will impact the young women who want to go away to college or want to take a new job and now may not be able to do that because they'll be, I guess in her mind, burdened by a pregnancy. So it, it was a very strange reaction, but one that should have been expected given how important abortion has become to the, the modern left. And I would say to the modern left, abortion is probably numbered their second highest priority. I would put all things having to do with sex, sexuality, and gender identity is number one. Abortion is number two, and I'd probably say climate change is number three. Let's talk about Black Lives Matter. Um, First of all, how did they describe the overturning of Roe v. Wade? What did they think was going on? Well, for Black Lives Matter, as always, they saw the overturning of Roe v. Wade as an act of anti-black racism because these are people who lack self-awareness. So again, abortion is one of the only policy areas in which disparate outcomes by race don't seem to be a problem for them. I guess neither does working with or partnering with an organization that has a very complicated racial history, such as Planned Parenthood, or in an industry in which black lives are disproportionately harmed, which is, again, is the abortion industry. So they frame everything that they don't like as systemically racist and a function of white supremacy. So that part was not a particular surprise to me. So, well, lest we forget, for some context, there was a time when on the website of Black Lives Matter, you could find a pretty bold statement about the obsolescence of the nuclear family. Yeah, at one point they were very open about wanting to disrupt, they call it the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. And funny enough, this was in their quote-unquote black villages principle. So a lot of times people, if you hear, if you were to hear that, you would think something along the lines of it takes a village to raise a child. Men and women in, in particular communities are going to do what they can to support moms and dads as they raise children and instill positive values and so on and so forth. That's what you would think that principle was about. But for Black Lives Matter, they took it as an opportunity to declare the nuclear family obsolete. And that shouldn't be a surprise to people who profess to be trained Marxists. So abolishing the family is part of what they need to do to sort of implement the type of control over society that that I think that they would want to have. More than 85% of women who have abortions are unmarried. What does that tell you, Delano? That tells me that married women don't, generally speaking, do not see their children's burdens. And even when a pregnancy is unexpected, within the context of a marriage, it is overwhelmingly welcomed because when a a man and woman commit to one another in front of God and and family and friends, part of that commitment is typically a commitment to all of the fruit that will come from that relationship. And I think married women see their children as the fruit of that relationship, and oftentimes unmarried women see their children as the consequence of sex. If progressives really cared about black lives, what would they do? But part of what they would do is talk more about, I mentioned the success sequence, that regardless of race says that if uh, young people who finished school, got a job, and married before they had children, 
by the time they hit their mid-30s, have a poverty rate in the single digits. That is something that I think every progressive leader and organization, they should be banging that drum everywhere they go because it is a, a tangible, simple way to articulate the type of life script that has always been part of society, but we've, we've somehow lost sort of track with. So, so I think part of it will be promote the success sequence. And then more generally speaking, promote a culture of life that includes marriage. That means not subscribing to abortion as quote unquote reproductive justice. That means encouraging families to stay together so that parents can raise their children. So a lot of this is not race specific. I think this, this would be the case across the board. But given the challenges that, that black families face specifically, I don't think it's too much to ask for the leading civil rights organizations to talk more about the importance of the black family than they do about the importance of Planned Parenthood's agenda. Delano Squires is a research fellow for the DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family at the Heritage Foundation. He holds a Master's of Public Policy degree from George Washington University He's author of a recent column for Newsweek titled Civil Rights Leaders Care More About Planned Parenthood Than Black Families. You'll find a link to this column and to the Heritage Foundation at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Delano, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. When we come back, we're going to be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, will be our guest. Defending life from beginning to end. You're listening to Issues Etc. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. 